right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. KU did it. They won the border war, border showdown. If you want to be, uh, I guess, correct on what it officially is called now, we're not Missouri. paid by the university. That's so right. We can yeah, I'm just going to call it border war. 102-65 was the score there in favor of Kansas. Never really felt like it was in doubt in my eyes. And Missouri is is not a good basketball team, but it was impressive the beatdown you put them on because there really wasn't any facet of that game where they outdid you. For instance, uh, shooting wise, you know, actually for them they actually had a good three point shooting game. They shot 31, percent which was seven percent above their average. But you were lights out from the outside. 14, Look, man, if your if your three point percentage average defense is thirty one percent for the Take year, it. you're going to have a good yeah. year. Take it hands down. But uh, KU offensively fourteen of twenty seven. That was nice to see. It was their best shooting. They took the most shots from three mm-hmm. that I think they had all year, and it was their best percentage from three all year. And it's important to show that that potential. Um, free throw shooting, I guess, would be the one thing you would say. Oh, Missouri out free throwed KU in terms of percentage, but. It's so close, it doesn't matter. If you look at offense and defense rebound, and this was something that, you know, as much as Missouri has struggled all season long and hasn't been a very good basketball team, they have been a good rebounding team. Top 40 in offensive and defensive rebounding rate coming into this game. Well, guess what? KU collected 46% of their misses on offense in this game. Missouri had 32%. You also had more total offensive rebounds, but the total looks a lot, it's 13 to 11 because... They missed a lot more shots than you did, so they were able to get more. But percentage-wise, you dominated them on the offensive glass. You got 15% more of defensive rebounds, too. So you dominated a good rebounding team on the glass. And I think that's something that this KU team, which is not like overly sized, doesn't have like one guy who averages like 15 rebounds a game, is 16th in the country in offensive rebounding rate. That continued. You had 20 to 13 in assists. You continued to not turn the basketball over. You had more blocks than them. You just beat them in every single facet of the game. I think defensively, KU's uh, Ken Palm defensive rating went up from 34 to 27 after that game, I checked it, and I believe I checked again today, and I think after the full weekend of action, it's now at 28. Yes. Um, and look, games now are going to have a bigger, you know, because it's now this, what, one-ninth of the – it's more than 10% of your schedule at this point is one game. Yeah. So it's going to have a bigger impact. But that, I mean, they've their defense – their defensive rating on Ken Palm, uh, which takes a lot more into account than just uh, points allowed um, – it, it you know it, it keeps steadily improving and that's a good thing we've talked all year about how self has never had anything outside of the 24 has been his worst it's for, there was full one season. out so the 2018 team which funnily enough made the final four yeah was in the 40s okay. um besides that they've all been i believe top 24 defenses so yeah i mean i and and it just it looked 
Um, there was no moment like the opening of the second half against UTEP uh, last, what, Tuesday. There's nothing like that. Um, you know, you kind of had a, a, a lull. I think there was such an emotional uh, – there's just such an emotional high. Christian Brown getting going. Things were so intense to start that game. There was such an emotional high. After that big start, and I think it was like 15-4 to four at one point, somewhere in there, then they kind of traded baskets, and the and the lead swelled to as much as maybe fourteen, and went down to as little as six or seven. So it was kind of in there for a while, and then uh, so that you know that kind of had me thinking. Well, the emotions kind of you know did they expend so much energy with their emotions at the beginning of the game, um, and then after that lull kind of happened, then you finished the half on another huge run um, to to finish off. 40, you know, a huge three to end the half. That was set up perfectly uh, for Ochai to can that three to end the half and never look back. I just at no moment, at no moment did anything, did it, did it look like you didn't have focus? Because I think that was my biggest thing mm-hmm. after UTEP. You're up 41 to 21 over UTEP at halftime. And there's just, they don't, they're not even running an, uh, an entertaining offense in the second half against UTEP. It's just bleh. Yeah, I, I think that's the difference of it being a rivalry game, being a, a packed crowd in, in front of versus, you know, at the T-Mobile Center. And this KU offense is, it is ridiculous how good it has been this season. It's third in Ken Bomb, but... You know, obviously, I keep saying again and again, this this looks Roy Williams. Ass. It really this does is such a fun. Well, I mean, to your to point, forty fourth in the country in adjusted tempo, which would be one of the faster Bill Self teams. Obviously, not maybe Roy Williams fast, but they they do so many things so well. They don't turn the ball over. They get offensive rebounds. So now you're maximizing possessions. And get this, they are shooting fifty nine point five percent on two point shots. The twenty twenty team which had Yudoka Azubuki, who made, like, every two-point shot, and Devon Dotson, who was a menace at getting to the rim and making two-point shots, shot 5% worse from two than this team is shooting. It is unbelievable how good this offense is. Because how many, I mean, how many, you've got, you had Yudoka Azubuki, so he's he's a plus from that team. Yeah, 75%. But, you know, compared to to David McCormick, but I think ever, I mean, I think you, as good, I mean, look, and this isn't taking away from Devon Dotson, but I think this team has probably one guy in Dewan Harris who's probably as good as Devon Dodson was at getting to the rim and scoring. And it's got two guys who are better in Ochai and Christian Brown. It's been unbelievable. I mean, there's so many ways this offense can attack you. It really has. It's um, awesome. And then you so get the three-point shooting in that Missouri game, and that's how you wind up with 100 points. I, I think my favorite moments from that game, like obviously when you drop 100 points on your rival, a result that, like I said, it never felt like it was in doubt. Even... At any point in that game, it did not feel like Missouri was about to make a run. It did not feel like they had a chance in that game. KU never trailed, and it felt like that from the absolute Missouri won the tip, and KU still never trailed. Yeah, and they just hit the two early threes, and I think Missouri responded to make it it 6-3. I mean, it was tied 0-0. Well, yeah, but I mean, after that. Because Missouri Missouri won the tip. Mm -hmm. I think that resulted in like a blocked shot or maybe just a missed shot. Um, And I think KU went up 6-0. I don't think this thing was even tied. Yeah, I don't know if it was either. It, it was incredible. It was dominant. Dominant performance from, from start to finish. And, and not just from the players. Like, so I went um, I went to this game as a fan. We had some friends in attendance um, from out of state. And we took them, wanted to take was them this to this your, game. This wasn't your friend that curses everything, was it? No, 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 okay. no, no. no. Um, 
So we just had some friends in attendance. We wanted to take them to the game. So we went into this game. And, and I was excited because me and my wife had never been to a, a KU Missouri basketball game. Um, I'd been to, you know, some KU Missouri volleyball games, but that's it. And so I was curious what the crowd was going to be like. I was curious what the atmosphere was going to be like. Loud from the jump. Now, obviously, when it's a, you know, 37-point game or whatever the final deficit was, um, you're not going to have the same moments down the stretch of, like, everybody is loudly screaming yeah, on yeah, a defensive You're not going to have T-Rob's block. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're not going to have that. So there was never that, like, one maybe spike moment, although maybe the Chris Tehan three was that moment. And quite honestly, the Chris Tehan three might have been my favorite moment of the game. That was so much fun. If you get a combo, one, especially with, with Bill Self, um, with, with the way he runs things, they don't hit 100. as, as it was. It's not as common mm-hmm. as it was, Sander Roy Williams. Um, which is fine. He's obviously been plenty successful, so I'm not going to criticize him for it. But when you hit 100, that's a big deal. And then when there's certain players, like it was just, you're going to get loud for hitting 100, and then you're going to get loud when it's him that does it. And especially because his older brother went four for four against Missouri last time they played. I mean, they don't win that game without him. He, in his career, I think was six for eight for three against Missouri, and then he points to to his brother after he makes the shot. Like It was just a, a really cool moment. But besides really that one moment, even though there weren't maybe as big of spikes as some other big games that you know I could go off the Rolodex of, of like the uh, 2016 game against Kentucky where you introduced the rules of basketball as an overtime game, or some Baylor games or Big 12 games that have been big, or uh, you know the KU Oklahoma triple overtime game. Maybe not as many spikes or big moments down the stretch. It was crazy to me how engaged the whole fan base was for the entirety of the game because we've seen it before. I mean, you've been at games before where, you know, KU is playing, uh, I don't know, your run-of-the-mill non-Power 5 school. Yeah. And it's basically a bye game, and they're up 90 to 60, or they're up, you know, they're up 70 to 40 with 10 minutes left in the game. And at that point, like, you know, fans are still chanting the let's go Jayhawks if, if that's what they're doing or, you know, they're making noise, but it. It's a lot more of a sleepy crowd at that point. People yeah, are more people their are phones. looking at their phones. Yeah. Exactly. And, and at that point, it's just like, all right, we're just kind of waiting for the inevitable to happen, the game to end, and there to be a final. At that point, you're kind of like, just let's wait the you know wait for the rock chalk chant is exactly. the next time you're going to hear them all be loud. Exactly. Together. Exactly. And so that was not the case at all in this game, which is wild because you're up 20, 30 points through basically the majority of the second half and never once... Did the crowd make it feel like that was the case? It felt like, like I said, it it never really felt like a game where it was a two-point game all the time, but that whole time, it felt like a, it was like a seven, eight, nine-point game. Yeah, like every possession still mattered. Yes, exactly. It it was unbelievable, And, and for that, like, those are the type of games you can tell how important a rivalry is, and I think that was such a cool experience to see how engaged everyone was for that long period of time because of how much it matters to them. And I think that's yeah. kind of the bottom line there. Yeah, that I mean, that just proves how important this rivalry is. Uh, I, I honestly think about Bill Self is on the record as saying um, he kind of learned how much this means to various and, – and he said he learned really uh, from that charity game how important it was to everybody and, and, and what led him to change his mind. Um and we've had our theories. I'll be honest. I I'll just tell, say myself. I've wondered if this was more Jeff Long, kind of pushing Bill Self into agreeing with this. I don't know. 
But if indeed this was Bill Self's decision, which is very possible it was, because he, I mean, any good athletic director would just let Bill Self run the program how he wants and, mm-hmm. and be as hands off as, as he can. Um, but if this was Self's decision, I go back to that story last Monday that Brian Haney told you, where it was, um, was it Anderson, Dana Anderson? Yes. Um, who was going nuts like 82 years old and he was pounding uh, and uh, on his fists on the table and and trying to get the fans to get going and that was a charity game that was a charity exhibition game in sprint center uh you know in, t- in 2017 so i i do wonder if something about that made self realize you know we've had you know the big seven or the whatever 10 point whatever comeback 14 point comeback over west virginia mm-hmm. we've had those uh, we've had moments where Baylor comes in as a top five team. We've had games like that, but there's just something to this rivalry. And look, maybe the K-State rivalry could get to that if K-State becomes a perennial top 15, top 20 team. Maybe. But it will never be like that if K-State is terrible. Like, no, no. Missouri and- is the only team that I think can be terrible mm-hmm. and it be at that level now. I'm not sure if this was if they were still in the conference, it would be at that level anyway. I do think it had something to do with the fact that I hadn't played in nine years. But I still think it, there's not another team that fans will get that juice for uh, unless they are a top, right, a, a major contender. Well, because and that's the biggest difference with K State to me. It's it's not just that you've played you know so many meaningful games. But I think it also like there there is real history there, right? Um, there is real, real disdain. Like you can, you know, not from people who are currently alive, but the fact that you actually have real history of a town being burned down and you have stories that have been told, I'm sure, from local Lorenzians from their, you know, grandma to their daughter to their daughter to their son to their, so far down the line where there actually like is real disdain there. Whereas, you know, obviously there is, you know, people on both sides of the KUK state thing with that hate the other school, but you can't manufacture the history side no. of it, right? Well, and, and Kansas, I mean, we we were, it was part of the curriculum when I was a kid to learn about bleeding Kansas yeah. when I was here. And we didn't learn to hate Missouri. Um, you know, there wasn't like propaganda to learn to hate Missouri when I was a kid. But when you're learning about the history of your state and you're learning about what bleeding Kansas was, uh, you know, you, you know all of that from the get-go. And so that, you know, that that lends itself to it. Mm-hmm. There's such uniqueness. I really, truly don't think, um, you know, the the two teams will, you know, rarely. I mean, we, you know, Missouri was a Final Four contender in 2012. Um, but rarely will it be like Ohio State and Michigan where both teams, you know, are, are so good consistently. But I, there's just not another rivalry in the country that has – the pre-sport background that this one has. It, it really, truly goes back to, um, it, there's, it, it, it involves, it's so, it's so far involved long before sports ever came about. So that was one of my other favorite moments, just how engaged the crowd was the whole way through. Um, the Mitch technical free throws, we were talking about this before the show, because I was trying to figure out what happened, because he, he was shooting the free throws. I wasn't sure if he was the one who got fouled, so like he had to shoot them, but... In hindsight, if he didn't have to shoot them, 
What are the chances that was Bill Self basically being like, ha, ha, ha? I bet I bet that was a big part of it. According to the, and I, I, I was not there, um, but according to the play-by-play guys, and I and, and they if, if they're correct in their interpretation of the rule, uh, they're correct in what happened. The, the technical happened after the play was over. Mitch Lightfoot committed a common foul on um, the Whit- on Moore. Paul Bunyan from yeah. Missouri, <laughs> the seven three center, and yeah. he committed a common foul on him, so that stopped play. So it was a dead ball foul when um, the the big guy for Missouri elbowed Mitch Lightfoot in the face. So because the technical happened while a play was not in action, anybody could have taken those free throws, as I understood it. Uh, I think it was part like, ha, yeah, we're going to send this kid to the line. And I think part of it was also, hey, man, you're the one that took that giant mm-hmm. elbow to the face. Go ahead and take your shots. No, I but think it that is was funny think it about it like as him being like, oh, we don't even need our good free throw shooter here. And KU actually Although had a bad they, they free throw use, shooting game. But. They, yeah, they did. But they had a, they used their they used their free throw shooter. They used their bad free throw shooter or their good one against uh, after Conzo's. Yeah, yeah. Which I think yeah. they came away with one point. From two technical fouls, I think. Maybe, no, they came away with three. Because Ochai made one, and KU turned it over on the subsequent technical possession. And then on that Mitch Lightfoot one, I think he made none, and KU made a shot on that possession. So I believe, if I'm doing my math right, two technical fouls against Missouri resulted in three Kansas points. Yeah, so that was fun, but... Honestly, the best moment from in the game itself, besides the Chris Tehan one, would probably have to go to the Christian Brown just supernova mode early in that game. We talked about all week how this game was going to mean so much to him, and you could see that early on. He he had like eight points in the first like five minutes. He he cooled off, he eased off, and and realized he didn't have to do that all from there. But he was dominant. He hit a three, hits that uh, that crazy and one, and he says, "You can't guard me." The dog. Um, yeah, yeah, and then he has the, uh, um, I don't know, he just had so many moments in that game. He said afterwards this was like the most fun he's ever had playing basketball. And then kind of on that note, they showed a couple times on the big screen. I don't know if they showed this on, on the TV broadcast or not. Um, Christian Brown's mom. Okay, that's okay. it's funny you mentioned that because I was just about to say, if you didn't see her, you need to go back and find the TV broadcast. Yeah. They showed his parents a she lot. Was wearing she wearing KU was, garb. She had... Like this, this look, this intense. Mm-hmm. Like she was into it, man. Yeah, and, and she I, was I mean, into his, it. And it was about like her, his dad was smiling and having mm-hmm. a good, good time. His mom looked like yeah, foaming it. Like Which she looked awesome. every bit as intense as him. Right. And it was awesome, right? And that's obviously like as a parent, as as much as you love your college, you're going to root for your kid. So it's not that it was surprising or anything. It was no, just kind of was, cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. And and I just I I thought it was really cool her her reaction. It wasn't just excitement about Christian doing well and his team doing well, she truly had mm-hmm. just like this, this <laughs> look, the same intense look that he had yeah. while he was playing. Yeah, you can tell he gets, because I've said this before the season, the fact that like I think Christian Brown probably um, is, like he's the guy with that kind of swag, kind of that get under your skin guy on KU. I think Remy Martin is, but they're different ways of doing it. Like Marcus, the Morris twins are, are the guys probably most known for it over the self era, or at the very least they're near the top. And Remy Martin does it with a smile. Remy Martin's kind yeah. of does it in Devonte Graham way, right? Like he'll get under your skin because he'll shake and bake you Ex- and then be laughing in and, your face. Exactly. And he'll but get Christian un- does it like in this intense, like yeah, yeah, bleep yeah. you mode. Yeah. It, 
Remy, Remy will get under your skin because no matter how hard you try to get under his skin, he won't let it yeah. affect him. And that's why it annoys you because he won't listen to you. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, Christian Brown goes after you. Yeah, he does. And that is fun to watch. And that was such a wonderful time on Saturday. Wasn't the best game in the world. Wasn't a game you're going to think about as, you know, one of the greatest games in the self era. But boy, but it was, was probably it one the, of the more second fun best. Ones. Yeah. Well, no, in this situation, mm-hmm. I think it was the best because even if there was an amazing ending, like let's say it's a close game and KU wins on a Christian Brown half court shot to win it, we're going to be sitting here going, well, what a great shot, but well, it shouldn't have been yeah. that close. So I think all things considered, that was as good of a result as you could have asked for. Yeah. I mean, they're up at, by 40 at one point. Absolutely, we were was. sitting here going, "Is twenty nine too much?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we yeah we thought the point spread getting raised up was like, "Oh no, this could you know," but nope, wasn't enough, nearly enough. Uh, with Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. We'll share Bill Self's post game audio coming up in about twenty minutes from right now. But uh, coming up next, I got a little story time, and then we're going to talk some KU football. This is RCST. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Half past three with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. On FM 1017-1320-KLWN. I'm doing a ticket giveaway for KU's next game. It's a home game as well. This Saturday, they're taking on Stephen F. Austin. I've got a pair of tickets to give away. Uh, it's on my Twitter, at Radio. Just retweet it. We're going to pick a winner tomorrow. And I think I said 405. We're just going to randomly pick a winner. So if you want a couple tickets, chance to do that, go uh, to that Twitter account. So I, I had a story to tell. Um, as I mentioned in the open, I was, I was at the KU-Missouri game. We had some friends come in out of town. So we had four friends, me and my wife. There's six people there. Um, so the way we we had the tickets, instead of like buying them all in a line where it was six people, we decided to do two stacks of three because we figured it would be more conversational, right? It's it's always sucks when you're there with a bunch of people and you're trying to talk to the person at the other end of the line and yeah. you're yelling between two people else yeah, and having a conversation. Yeah, you're down the line. You, you want to say something to the person at the, all the way at the end. Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, the people in the middle are having their own conversation. So yeah. uh, we, we just figured it would be more conversation. So we do that, get into the game, and uh, where our section was, you know, we just walked in and there were three open spots, and then right above it there were like two and a half open spots, Somebody in GA was sitting in one of the seats. They just they moved over. So we both sat down, you know, our, our two rows of three. Everything's fine. Game goes on. We're about 10 minutes into the game, right, um, of, like, game time. There's probably 10 minutes left in the first half. These two Missouri fans show up late to the game, mm-hmm. 10 minutes into the game. And they come by, and they come over to where we are, and they're like, hey, you're in our spot. We're like, no, these these are our tickets. We show everybody their tickets. Turns out that because we just walked into our area and we thought that the row was the row, but we were a row behind where we were supposed to be sitting. So you can't count is what you're saying. No, no, no. Hold on. So it said on the, it was just kind of confusing with where the steps were. So we were, say, row, I don't know, whatever, 24 and 25, and we were sitting in 25 and 26. Okay. So in theory, we would have to move up to be in our proper seats, right? Everybody would move up a row. Okay. Right? And then their seats would be open again. Here's the problem. Every single oh, other row was taken. behind you. 
So we were like, we're like, where did the problem start, right? Because this is a domino effect, yeah. right? One person at the very front sat one row behind, and now and everybody is behind them, there. right? So now we have the ticket guy is like squatting between these rows of seats or the, whatever the the usher, I should say, trying to figure this out, and he's like, he's like yelling at us. He's being like, you guys are in the wrong seat. You have to move up. And we're trying to explain to him in the midst of all There's the no game going to on. Move. Like, yeah, we're like, you're talking to the wrong people. We understand we're in the wrong spot. You need to go talk to somebody in front of us so they can move up so we can move up. This is not a problem that starts with us. This is the problem that ends with us. So eventually, after the guy's arguing with us for five, ten minutes, people behind us are trying to figure out where they're sitting. The, and and meanwhile, the, pe- the people who are sitting directly in front of us are just, like, having none of it. Like, we're trying to get their attention, trying to tell them, like, hey, can you talk to the people in front of you? They look back. They just ignore us. You Excellent. Know? Excellent. So it, it's off to a great start. Finally, the ticket usher goes around to the row in front of us, like we told him to do. Checks the guy's tickets, and sure enough, the guy in front of us was in the wrong section. Aha! So we all move up. Felt like jerks because... You know, like all these people are, you know, waiting to get into their seat. They're sitting behind us. They're probably mad at us thinking the same way the usher was. We're thinking it was our fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, like, what do you want me to do? I'm, you know, so uh, that was that was my quick little story. It was just kind of a weird story. But so they were Missouri thought it was kind fans? of a funny moment. The people behind us waiting to get into the seats where we were. So which that me, was also let me, let a part me. of this story. Why did you make this long trek from Missouri to show up? With only ten minutes left in the first half to watch a game, your team was going to get beaten down. Uh, they wanted to. They got caught up walking around, seeing what a decent college town <laughs> looks like. Um, let me give you some uh, advice here, mm-hmm. Derek. Now, this might be controversial, but I'm not this PC guy that everybody <laughs> expects someone to be on the radio now. Don't ever confuse Missouri fans mm. with people. Mm. Because they're not people like you and I. Mm-hmm. So, I'm just saying, don't let it weigh on your conscience too much. Yeah, no, I, I don't want to sound extreme, mm-hmm. but Missouri fans aren't human beings. <laughs> but, okay, so, so to wrap up this story, KU did a, like, I forget what they're called. It's not, maybe it is, a, uh, like one of those 360 degree panorama pictures. Oh, yeah, you yeah, You know yeah. what I'm talking about? And you yeah. can go in on the website. You see where you are. You can, yeah, you can like zoom in and, and rotate around and stuff. So funny enough, the picture, when they took it, and, and maybe this is why I didn't even know they were taking it. Maybe they were announcing it on the PA, but we were talking with the so guy. you're up yelling so at people during it. this picture? The picture is when the guy is like talking to all of us. And I'm showing you the picture. This does nothing for the radio yeah, listeners. I'm, well, I want but to. Uh, it'll give you a visual image to understand what was going on. So is that you? I'm in the hat. You're the one holding up the phone to show them your know. actual pictures. Yeah, or your actual. It was. Pictures. It was just a weird story. It was just a weird moment, you know. And it, but it, it like gets you to thinking. Well, I, for anybody, for anybody who wants to hop on and look for this picture, what section were you in? I don't even remember, to be honest. Okay. I don't know. Well, but regardless, it's it's kind of a funny it's just, little... Yeah, uh, it's just like a funny um, curb your enthusiasm type moment where, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and you feel like you're getting blamed for something that is not your fault, but anyway, it happened. But uh, it's not necessarily the people blaming you's fault either. No, no, no. You know no, what I'm saying? No. 
yeah, no, just a uh, funny situation, I guess is the best way to put it. Okay, uh, KU football, I did want to mention this before we go to break here. They got another kid from the portal over the weekend, Savion Morrison. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Um, that's another second transfer they added in from the Big Ten. If you remember, on uh, Thursday or Friday, they added Kalen Gervin, who transferred from Michigan State, former four-star recruit. He was committed to Wisconsin. He flipped to Kansas, so that was a big get to begin with. And um, I heard it described to me as he could be a nice replacement um, and have more years under his belt than uh, what you had with uh, Jackson Webb this past year. Um, so you're adding two transfers from the Big Ten. That means they come in with uh, legit, legit credentials. Morrison was a uh, former four-star recruit. Big back, 6'1", 210 pounds. Didn't play in 2020. I don't know if he redshirted or not, but I don't think it matters either way because either way the year wouldn't count because of COVID. He played a little this year. 30 carries, 116 yards, three touchdowns. So that means he'll be a third-year sophomore for Kansas and this I, next season. I don't think you mentioned he's from Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. You he said the Nebraska. Big Ten, but I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. think you said the school. I don't think I did either. So, yeah, from Nebraska. And, uh, yeah, third-year sophomore, he'll be immediately eligible because of the one-year trans- or the one-time transfer rule. So, um, I think you bring this kid in, and now you feel a little better about your running back depth. We saw that kind of hurt KU at the end of the season. You know, I don't really expect this to affect Devin Neal much. He's still going to be your guy. But now you feel like you have a very legit number two running back behind him. We talked about how much having not having Devin Neal or at the very least not having a more suitable backup probably hurt KU's mm-hmm. chances of, be, of scoring a win over West Virginia. And I think more so than anything, this is, I think this is the time we're going to start to see the big reason why you hired Scott Aligo, who is like the director of player personnel for Michigan State and really focused in on the transfer portal. He comes here. That's his focus here. We already see him get two guys from... Uh, Power Five schools from uh, Big Ten universities. They're in on a bunch of other transfers as well. This is the type of impact he's going to have. And I'm really interested just to see how the transfer portal affects, because we've seen it have a big effect in college basketball. But it's one thing when you bring on one guy to be one of five, one of your starting five. Yeah, right? yeah. One, one, the impact one can be player so much. can affect an entire team. Whereas in football, that's not as much the case. Yeah. But I am curious, and, and maybe Kansas will be one of those test subjects that we could be looking back on in, in five, ten years from now, and the same way we viewed, you know, Kansas State building up their roster with JUCO guys and in-state local walk-ons, you know, and, and other success stories, name it from wherever, of how they found ways to build up rosters and change the game in college football. If we could be looking back on it, and there will be a couple teams that have success stories, and maybe one will be Kansas, where you said, yeah, they built it because they were super smart about what they did, how they did it, and going through the transfer portal. Also got a uh, commitment from a high school kid, right? Yes, from Meridian, Mason Ellis. Kansas. Six foot two, 190-pound athlete. He was is committed he, to North Dakota State. Is he going to be a walk-on? I don't know. I, I, only, I, saw, I only saw FCS schools on his list. Yeah, and, and again, one is North Dakota State, which is better yeah, than a South lot Dakota of FBS State. schools. Yeah. And, and North Dakota State and South Dakota yeah. State, by the way, are both still playing in their tournament. This, I was trying so to figure that out because I'll say this. If you got him to walk on that's to your school yeah. over an offer from North Dakota State, that's big time. But yeah, if it is absolutely. a scholarship, you know, Good it's fine. It. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah is it Mason, what was his last name? Uh, Mason Ellis. He's from Meridian, right? Uh, Mulvane. Mulvane, not yeah. ready. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to play DB. He, he posted on Twitter something with hashtag NFZ, which I'm guessing that's no fly zone, but I also feel old talking about that. So anyway, uh, we're going to take a break here. Big weekend for KU football as well. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Tough getting out of bed this morning after your weekend long bender? Uh-oh. 
Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Instead of focusing on Monday, it's time to rehash the glory days of the weekend that was right now on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson. When you come in on Monday and you're not feeling real well, does anyone ever say to you, sounds like someone has a case of the Mondays? No. No, man. All right. It is back. Case of the Mondays. I don't even think we did it last week. Um, I think we just had so much going on. No, I believe at the uh, and at the end of the show, we kind of had this, uh, hey, wait, we didn't do a case yeah. of the Mondays. <laughs> so, well, do we do it Tuesday or Wednesday? No, the name of the segment is Kept you wait. Case of the Mondays. Uh, so with Adam Dravada, Derek Johnson, this is Case of the Mondays on RCST. How about the KU women's basketball team? Another win for them. They defeated a 5-1 Santa Clara team, 80-65. to They're now 8-1 on the year. And I believe it was only a one-point game at the end of the third quarter. Yeah, they, they dominated in the fourth. And that only loss now is still to Tennessee. They lost by 10 to a now top 10 Tennessee team who's undefeated. So 8-1, looking good. Um, you can kind of look at this as, as glass half full, glass half empty. They don't have a marquee win right now. If, if you go on the net rankings... They have just one top 100 net victory. That would be against Vanderbilt, who's 94th, so barely in the top 100. They have just three wins of the eight against teams who are in the top 150 of the net. Their next game is a top 100 one. It's at Wichita State, who's 98th, so maybe a slight opportunity to to build a little what's, bit. What's KU's net? Uh, they are, I think, 38 last I checked. Okay, so, so right there. as of now, you would think they'd be on the hairy edge mm-hmm. of, a, of an at-large yeah. berth. But so, they have not beaten anybody who would get an at Correct. Number. But keep this in mind. And this is where the glass half empty, glass half full comparison comes in. You haven't really beat anybody great, but you've also defeated all of those eight teams. By a lot. By an average score of 24 points. Yeah, that's the thing. They, their only close game was the loss, and that was the loss to a top mm-hmm. 10 team. So, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, they're not only winning, they're winning by a heap. And that's good. And we've said this a lot. It's really just going to come down to what happens in Big 12 play. And we've seen other years where they have had good non-con records against bad teams, but then it hasn't translated. The fact that they're blowing out teams by this much makes me think it's going to translate at least a little. I don't I don't know if they're going to be, you know, good enough to make the NCAA tournament or finish in the top half of the Big 12. But there's a different level between what you've been doing, which is winning only two, three, four games in Big 12 play to then maybe can you be seven and 11, right? Can you be competitive in Big 12 play and at least feel like you have a shot to make the NCAA tournament in into March or February. Yeah, I would agree 100%. I mean, that's I think when you look at what uh, Bonnie Hendrickson did, and you know Marion Washington, who's the face still to this day, the face of the Kansas women's basketball program, um, multiple Sweet 16s for both of them. Um, I think that's that's the standard for KU women's basketball and, and Brandon Schneider. As good of a guy as he is, has not lived up to the standard that was set by the coaches who came before him. In men's college basketball news, Baylor romped Villanova yesterday, fifty-seven to thirty-six. That was—if you would have told me that—I'm probably more surprised by that score than I am by the spread. Like I would have been l- less surprised that a just thought Baylor got like hot a ninety-five to seventy-six game. Yeah, thirty-six to Villanova. Yeah, gosh, I'll, I'll say this like. Um, Kansas might end up having the best offense in the country. Baylor might end up having the best defense in the country. And that is going to be such a fun game to watch for that reason because it is going to be such a good clash of those two units when they go up against each other. Baylor's for real, man. Um, I 
it, it it's wild to me that you have a program that's obviously not a blue blood and is not a program that after losing all these guys like it's one thing when you know John Calipari goes to a final four he loses all his players but the next year you bring in four or five star recruits and it's like oh of course they're good again right with Baylor you're talking about a program that had, has kind of built this off developing guys right not that they're you know two or three stars like they're still bringing in four stars or maybe the occasional low-end five star but it, it, it's far from the just retool with five stars every year and you lost so many guys and they still continue to be this good they do look legitimately like the best team in the country right now whether that continues remains to be seen but they get the number one spot today in the ap poll that's because purdue lost and uh lost on a like 30 foot three kind of running three yeah, against, against Rutgers. Rutgers, which I did see this pointed out, which is kind of interesting. Purdue only fell two spots in the poll in the AP poll. Kansas, for losing to Dayton, fell whatever it was, six or seven lot, spots or yeah. something. Rutgers is actually ranked lower in Ken Palm than Dayton was. Uh-huh. Both teams lost on a weird buzzer-beating shot. So that that is kind of weird that that would be the case. But Purdue does have more uh, resume Worth wins. Worth noting that that KU's loss was on the neutral floor, though. Yeah, that's true. And this one's on the road. And again... Purdue has more resume wins. And, um, and I've said this before. Like, honestly, I don't really care if KU's ranked third or seventh in the AP poll. You know, whatever they're... Like, I care more about, now that we're getting into more bracketology season where you have data, I care more about where are they going to be viewed in bracketology? Like, where does their resume work out? Because that's what's going to actually have an impact. I agree completely. Baylor, uh, right now, the only team in Ken Palm that is ranked in the top five in both um, adjusted offense and adjusted defense. Really good. Good place to start, right? Um, Yeah, because you have, like, Purdue, who's first in offense, but they're 40th on defense. Um, Kansas, third on offense, but they're 28th in defense. Uh, So, yeah, they are a very, very balanced team, and that's scary with that Baylor team. Uh, Like I said, I don't know. Maybe this is just they're starting off really well because – you have some familiarity with with like your guys who came back from last year with like Adam Flagler, uh, the two big men in Thamba and Chamwa Chachua and uh, LJ Cryer, Matthew Meyer. There is enough familiarity there, but still, you're introducing new guys like James, James Akinjo, who's a really good transfer, Kendall Brown, who's a stud young freshman who I know Bill Self was unhappy uh, that he picked Baylor over over KU, um, or at least was he just wanted him. Um, Pretty crazy how good they've been, despite losing all those players. All right, uh, Oklahoma, sticking in college sports, landed a four-star quarterback, Nick Evers. Texas landed a former five-star quarterback, transfer from Ohio State, Quinn Ewers. I don't really have much that's interesting about this, but I do think it's interesting that you have two rival schools who now have quarterbacks, Ewers versus Evers. Ah, yeah. That's going to get very confusing. The, the, the V versus the double V. And if you read it fast enough, like you can convince yourself a W looks like a V or a V looks like a W. I don't really have anything I else to say I always thought the W that. looked like those uh, pulse monitors on on uh, hospital TV shows. Mm. Okay. Well, um, hopefully hopefully that's not what your hospital monitor looks like. Correct. That'd be uh, bad. Texas also landed uh, a man who will be protecting that guy, Evers. They got the number one overall uh, offensive lineman recruit mm. in the country. Okay. to them. So, uh, good good recruiting weekend for the two uh, soon-to-be SEC schools. That's right. Okay, I don't really have much else to say besides that on that. Um, did you see some of this Urban Meyer stuff over the weekend? Uh, These reports coming out. I definitely did, but I'm not sure you did. So, why don't you go ahead and prove to me that you saw it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, well, I know you saw one thing because you sent me one of the things. I, I saw it. I yeah. saw it all. Okay. It was, uh, the thing you sent me was basically 
he had a meeting with assistant coaches, and correct me if I'm wrong here, where he basically said... Prove to me you've won anything. Because they obviously are struggling. He was basically trying to say, it's not my fault. You know, he said, I, I've won national championships. I've, I've done this at Utah, Florida, at Ohio State. What have you done? Yeah. And, and he asked them all to say, like, why they're a loser, basically. Here's here's my thought on that. Coaches are notably intense individuals, mm-hmm. hyper-competitive, and they behave in ways at their place of work that would be considered well beyond the line of decency in almost any other place of work. I'm fine with that. I would listen to the argument that it was taken in a negative way when what he was really trying to do was he wasn't asking ironically, what have you ever won? He was genuinely asking so they could name things they've won so he could then show them, no, look, see, you are capable of being part of a winning establishment. I could listen to the argument that he was using it as a motivator. The problem is, Herb has lost any benefit of the doubt. Yes. He is a horse's ass. <laughs> and he's been a winning horse's ass until lately, so it's been put up with. Uh, but now, those things... that It's kind of interesting. There was a story about uh, that Kent Babb wrote at the height of the Scott Pioli era called Arrowhead Anxiety. Um, and there was a story that Scott Pioli saw a, a candy bar wrapper in the stairwell at, at, at the Arrowhead or the chief's offices. And he just let it sit there and he just let it sit there and he just let it sit there. And then finally he picks it up and he brings it up in a meeting. He's screaming at people about how you need to take some pride. I know that this was sitting there for a week and nobody picked it up. Da, 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 da. And everyone thought, God, this man's a lunatic. One, a very similar incident happened uh, when somebody did a profile on Peter Vermes, who is the, uh, the head honcho that... Essentially, the, I don't know his official title, but he'd be the equivalent of coach and GM for Sporting Kansas City. And people read that story, and it, the, the theme was how attentive to details he is and how demanding of a boss he is, and that's why he's so successful. So it's interesting to me how different things get painted and what light things get painted if you're winning versus when you're when you're losing. Yeah, that's a really good point, right? Because I, I think a perfect example of that is like Tom Brady, too, who... How many times have we seen Tom Brady on the sideline, like screaming at a receiver? And he's intense. Or coach, he's intense, right? And yeah, and, and that's the conversation. It's like this guy's just a winner. He does wants yeah. to win at all costs. Has high right? demand. He's demanding. Yeah, and then we see it with you know, name your other athlete with two guys screaming at each other on the sideline. He's just and throwing it's a dysfunctional a fit. team. Yeah. Exactly. So yes, that 100 percent matters here. Um, but there was a another report besides that that he and uh, receiver Marvin Jones had a screaming match, and that. Jones apparently left the facility and had to be basically um, convinced to kind of come back into the uh, the facility. Um, and then on on Sunday, he was kind of asked about all this stuff. And here's what he said. What's the answer when things are going badly? Start leaking information or some nonsense? Um, no, no, that's nonsense. That's garbage. I've been very blessed. I've not really dealt with that. I've not dealt with, well, did you hear what he said? No. Let's improve on our offense and get our quarterback in position to be successful. That's our focus. Um, he goes on to say what someone's brother said or someone said, someone said, that will occupy very little of my time. And if there's a source, that source is unemployed. I mean, within seconds. And if there's some source that's doing that. Uh, what about the one I sent you today? I can't remember the name of the player. Yeah, that was after this. Um, but, yeah, go ahead and share that. Yeah, yeah. so I, I'm gonna, I've got to pull up 
on my phone real quick. I know the story, but I cannot recall the actual player. So this was um, Andre Sisco, and he was asked uh, why he wasn't uh, playing more. This, a reporter asked him why wasn't Andre Sisco playing a little more, and he said um, Sisco is playing a little bit more, I believe. I don't have his numbers in front of me. Cisco did not play a single defensive snap yesterday. So I uh, so once again back to the whole benefit of the doubt thing. That's that's where we're running into that you can't exactly give Urban the benefit of the doubt here. So I've always believed that the best head coaches have a pulse and a fingertip on everything that is happening with the program, right? And and I do think it's a little silly sometimes when we get to like the level of um Oh, what is it called with the NCAA when they give you the, the penalty for oh, lack of institutional yeah, control? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a little excessive. I, I don't mean from that standpoint, but certainly when we're talking about who is playing in the game, <laughs> that is something that most coaches, would good know. or bad, yeah. would know, but especially the good ones. So, yeah, that um, I think is more just telling about what a disaster hire this is. I heard a story from a former D2 athlete, and, and this could go back to Urban. Now, look. Urban is a better football mind and better football coach than anybody in this room and anybody in this building. Mm-hmm. But we're also a radio station. So my but the point I'm trying to make is when it comes to the importance of recruiting in college football, I once heard a story from a former D2 uh, tight end who asked his coach, "Hey, have you ever had any dreams of pl- of coaching at the at the big level?" And he said, "Well, the thing is, everything at that level is about acquiring talent and recruiting." He goes, at this level, all of you guys suck, so I actually have to coach. (laughs) And so my point is, and his coach, of course, was speaking somewhat tongue-in-cheek and joking around with him, but the point still stands if you really see how big of a deal uh, coaching becomes at the NFL level when the talent somewhat evens itself out. Yeah, absolutely. And And you can't. You're not at a program where you can just hand-pick your talent. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Nick Saban was unsuccessful at the NFL level, but he's the greatest college coach of all time. Okay, uh, the last story. LeBron James became the oldest player in league history to record a 30-point triple-double. His success in the game, according to him, and this is very case of the Mondays, I slept last night from 12 to 8, I got up, ate breakfast, and we went back to sleep from 8.30 to 12.30. We're all like LeBron. Wow. And I think that's proof. You know, if you show up to work late, you, you overslept your alarm, your boss is like, hey, why are you late? Like, I was just doing the LeBron routine. Do you want yeah. me on my A game today? Do you want me putting up the the work equivalent of 30-point triple-doubles? And, He's and what are they 12 hours. Right? That's awesome. Yeah, good for him, man. Good for him. I'm proud of you, LeBron. <laughs> All right, that is Case of the Mondays with Adam Ravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, we're going to talk the Chiefs after the beatdown they put on the Raiders yesterday at Arrowhead Stadium. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. About 25 past four with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. On KLWN, the next KU game comes Saturday. Jayhawks taking on Stephen F. Austin. What does the F stand for? We may never know. Uh, the Chiefs pulled a scoregami last night, or not night, yesterday. 
Thoughts? Scorigami. Um, when I first saw that, I thought, well, that's not a super uncommon. It's not too yeah, really I uncommon thought that would have happened. Uh, but what's what's crazy is the manner in which they got to nine was was probably pretty unexpected because yeah. it wasn't three field goals. It was a booted extra point. Do you think that'll be the next evolution of score? Like once we get to a point where like all the scores are pretty much done except for like the... I don't know, sixty-three Hundreds, to sixty, yeah. yeah, yeah, stuff like that. Um, that'll be the next evolution. It'll be like how no it game is there. It, yeah, how it gets there. I don't know. Maybe I I unfollow the Scorigami account. I like. I'm I'm interested when Scorigamis happen, uh, and but those always get retweeted onto my timeline after the game exactly. goes, goes final. The Scorigami account, and I hope these people don't listen, or we never want to have them on as guests. <laughs> but I find the account itself catastrophically annoying. Because every game that's happening, it's like, this game has a 2% chance of yeah. ending in Scorigami. Most likely, Scorigami right. is bleh. <laughs> no, just tweet the after the end of the game if a Scorigami happens. Otherwise, I don't care. Do people actively like root for this to happen? Do you think there's a sect of fans who watches the game on Sunday, sees the tweet from Scorigami, and goes, this game is... Whatever, twenty. Like immediately turns it on. To like they have, this like they have the direct TV package. Yeah. and they're like, I gotta see if this I gotta is go. Scorigami. Yeah, that's um, crazy to me if that that is. I don't know. I mean, it, it's an interesting concept. I like that they're doing that, but I also again, but, uh, you know what it is to me? It's just a footnote. It's something cool. It's, a, it's exactly yeah. and and um, but yeah, here we are discussing. It. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. I I just yeah, it's um the length that people go to, but yeah, I think it's a cool little. Thing. I mean, there's something about knowing that you witnessed something that has never happened before. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Scorigami, congratulations to everyone involved, including the Raiders, even though it wasn't your best performance. You made history, guys. Uh, the Chiefs should just play the Raiders every week, though. They, for whatever reason this year, at different times, the offense has been, um, I don't know, sputtering might be too harsh, but has struggled through different points well, For at least of this one season. game, you could say flat terrible. Yes, but that has not been the case three against, against Nashville or Tennessee. I mean, they have, what, 90 points, basically, in, in two games against the Raiders? I, I don't know if it's their cure, because a cure would impro imply that you're fixed from there on. But certainly for those one games against them, the Raiders just well, cannot get, figure out the Chiefs. Let's see. Seven. Um, so 41. 82 points against the Raiders in offense, anyway. By my count, because I think they've had yesterday they had. I thought it was forty-one and forty-eight, so it'd be eighty-nine. It, no, no, no. But seven yesterday came from the defense. Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it's incredible, and and I guess that's something we need to bring up: the fact that you know it took you getting five turnovers in that game. So how much does that help the offense? But you know, even if we look at the base stats, you average about four points for every turnover you get. You're yeah. still beating them twenty-eight to nine. That's still a beatdown, I mean, and you're not. Yeah, the, the the turnovers help. Don't get me wrong, but you're also, I mean, you're scoring as much as you can with you know with most of the possessions you have. Did they punt yesterday? If they did, I don't remember it. Me neither. It was it was a pretty impressive performance. So I guess the only, I mean, the only blah offensive drive I can remember is is they got deep into the into the territory and it was. They got deep because it was. I think it was the the one with a crazy pass, almost kind of kind of reminiscent of the one against the Ravens to Tyreek Hill, um, and then a couple penalties on the Raiders got them really close, and then they got backed up by, I believe, a holding call or maybe an offensive interference call. Regardless, the the, the drive stalled out and wound up with Harrison Butker needing to kick in a fifty four yard field goal. 
That was the only offensive drive that I remember just flat going, this is gross. Well, I guess the question now is that because you have these two games now, and it's easy to say, okay, well, they obviously fixed it because this was the most recent time we viewed them. Do you view this more as the offense is back now and that it has the ability to do this any game, or do you view it this is just a Raiders thing? I don't think they have the ability to do this any game. Well, I just mean you walk into a game thinking in the back of your head, if all goes right, they can they can do this. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think. What they do, What was last week the Cowboys game? No, last week they were off. Week before was the Denver game, right? Yes. And what was the score there? Like 22 to 9? Um, or am I thinking of the Cowboys 22, game? Yeah, 22 to 9, that's right. That was the Denver game? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you saw, you know, you didn't see much scoring there. Um I don't know. I, I'm. I'm. It. It can't be. Let me say this. It can't be a bad sign. Um, yeah. And it, it. I think it can't. I think it can only be a good sign. It just doesn't necessarily mean that this is what they're going to peel off every game. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that it happened against the same team. But I also think it could be a sign that at least it's still there. I also think it's worth noting. You know, you. The there were no. You know, this is probably an example. Uh, it, it's not, if I can catch my words here, it's it's not a coincidence that it happened both times against the Raiders, but it's also not a coincidence that it happened when they stopped dropping the ball. That's a good point to bring up. And, so and maybe the defense that, because, doesn't have much control over that. Yeah, well, and, and that's something I talked about last week. I, I, I didn't feel more confident about where the offense was, but... I didn't feel bad about you not having a great offensive game against the Broncos because it was a good defense, and you just had drop issues, and Mahomes missed passes. And and I just felt like that wasn't, you know, as repeatable as some other things. Like, it was one thing early in the season when it was just almost like a refusal to change up your game plan. That was not the case yeah. in the Broncos game. And, and I think you saw the fruits of that labor against the Raiders. So, yes, I think part of it is just a Raiders thing, but... I think some of it is that you've been fixed a little bit, right? Um, yeah, but especially with the mistakes that you can control. Exactly. And the defense continues to excel. You don't just force five turnovers, which directly lead to points on a defensive touchdown or setting your offense up in better positions, but you also continue to shut down the Raiders. And if we're looking at, you know, better offenses that the Chiefs have during this nice run of play for them, the Raiders would be, or like the, the higher-end quarterbacks – you know, Derek Carr is not a probably a top ten guy, but he's maybe in that like twelve to sixteen range. Yeah, I think Derek Carr would. Imp- you shut him down twice. Yeah, I think Derek Carr would improve the quarterback situation on anywhere from fifteen to eighteen teams in the in the NFL. Yeah, and and shut him down twice within yeah. a span of about four weeks. And the Chiefs are now basically because of this all. We talked about this headed into the Broncos game. If the Chiefs can win these next three, all divisional games, Broncos, Raiders, Chargers on Thursday night. It's it. They're done. You're basically locked up the AFC West. Because you're sitting at that point at 11 wins. I think it'd be 10. It'd be 10 and 4. It wouldn't be officially no, no, no. locked they have... up. They're 9 oh, and no, 4 Oh, no, no, because the Broncos, never mind. I, yeah. I, I was thinking, you're right, because they don't. the Chargers is the last one. And the Chargers are 8 and 5. So right now you're a game up. So it wouldn't officially be over. So you're sitting but at, at that 10 and point, 4, but you've got a division... You've got a division record of what four and one at that point. At that point, if you win, yes, you'd be four and one. You wouldn't lose the head to head to the Chargers. Game is in Denver. Yeah, Your next divisional game. You would is in Denver. just need basically one more win 
or one more Chargers lot. Like it, it, it basically is a de facto wrap up of the division, and you're one win away from that. Now this is the hardest one to come by on Thursday. On the road on Thursday night, I hate that. Mm-hmm. Really hate it. Um, COVID news keeps coming out of Los Angeles, so we'll see what happens there and who they'll be without. But uh, and I don't mean Los Angeles, the city. I mean the, the team specifically. Um, I just I, I hate being on the road on a Thursday night, man. I really do. It does make it a lot tougher, um, especially the fact that this isn't, you know. It'd be one thing, like, it'd almost be better if it was against Denver, even though you have the altitude factored in, because that's only an hour and a half flight, right? This is over a three-hour flight. And it's a Denver, Changing two time zones. Denver's not a good team. Yeah. I mean, well, not a good, not a good offense. Anymore. Right. But I, I don't really, like, what do you pick about this game? You can't, like, you shut down Derek Carr. You shut down the run game. They're under four yards to carry. Josh Jacobs had as many carries as apparently a rumor's going around as he has kids, but allegedly because i don't know if that's true that's he's just, denying it yeah so we'll we'll err on the side of josh jacobs um but you held him to nine carries for 24 yards in the game your, your defense forced turnovers they continued to stop the opposing team i also thought it was so funny the raiders kicked that field goal at the end of the first half like you're down 34 you're down 35 yeah. to nothing you know you're at the five yard line maybe going for the touchdown here is the right play that um, was and then of course the uh um oh and i can't remember i feel bad i can't remember the name of the sideline reporter for cbs yesterday um but it reported uh, that the, the raiders coach or interim coach said well we hope that that field goal will get us some momentum going into <laughs> um going in like good lord man i can't believe he said that yeah I can't believe that. Okay. Um, it didn't, by the way. No, it did not. Well, hey, man, they, they held the Chiefs to 13 points in the second half. Yeah. Yeah, the offense. Well, no, I guess in general. You're right. Yeah. So that's a positive, even though if you gave up 26 a game, which that would be on pace for, that'd still be one of the lower marks in, in the NFL. Um, but again, like you, you look at what are you going to pick nits about? Patrick Mahomes was ultra efficient. He goes 20 of 24 for 258, took what the defense gave him all day long. Uh, he was efficient, didn't have any turnovers. Derek Gore. Had the long rushing touchdown. You were able to run the ball over as a team. Had 130 rushing yards, three touchdowns. You got Josh Gordon a touchdown if you want to get him more involved. Uh, Tyreek Hill had a nice game. He had your, the, the long catch. Your offensive line continues to look dominant. Um, Orlando, the one play where uh, Trey Smith just knocks the guy yeah, over. Orlando Brown had trouble. There was one, and you, it was uh, it may have been the only time Patrick Mahomes was sacked yesterday, but it, became, it came on a sack, and you could actually see at one point with Orlando Brown where he knew he'd gotten beat, and he almost went to hold his guy, and his his instinct to not hold took over, and then he realized, wait a minute, it would be better get a hold here and lose the yards than to get Mahomes sacked and potentially hurt him. So then he goes back and almost attempts to hold his man, uh, and then the sack comes, and, and luckily Mahomes was fine. But um, yeah, it, it, it. But that was really the only. But you know. The, the Derek Gore touchdown kind of came on a very boring, uh, you know, draw play or, you know, kind of a halfback dive right up the middle. Really boring. Nothing fancy about it. Chad Henney was in the game at that point. They're just trying to run clock. And um, to me, that was an ultimate ball don't lie moment because that was the Chiefs, the fumble. The Chiefs would have picked it up and returned it for another touchdown, but they called it a dead ball at the time. So the Chiefs only got possession, not the touchdown. And then one play later, Chad Henney comes in, hands the ball off to Derek Gore, and off he goes. And this is maybe my favorite stat in the game, besides obviously the score, Gami. Um, 
Chiefs had eight different players catch a pass. Of the eight, seven caught two or more passes. Is Gordon the only one that didn't? No, Byron Pringle only got one for 28. Okay. But of all He's those— He's still serving his sentence for his two drops. Last yeah, he got two for nine. He had an eight-yard catch and the one-yard touchdown grab. No player on the team received more than four targets, and you put up 48 points. So you didn't even have to get Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey fully involved. Yeah. Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey had a combined eight targets. And when Mahomes had 258 yards. Yeah. It's not like he, you know, it's not like it was one, you know, buck 70. But that's what's crazy. It, was, to me. it wasn't his crazy it, MVP numbers, but he still had as good of a game as he's had yeah. since probably the last time they played Las Vegas. But think about that. That means that there was still something left on the bone, that there's still potential to be even yeah. better than you were in yeah, that yeah, game. Yeah. And you still dropped 48 points. All impressive around for the Chiefs, taking down the Raiders. Dominant showing for Kansas City on Sunday. We're going to take a timeout here and get into our NFL Monday overreactions. That on the other side with Adam Dravet. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it. About a quarter till five, this is Rock Shock Sports Talk. At the top of the hour, we're going to talk some more about the KU Missouri game. How much did we learn from that game, possibly, about the rotation? With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, quick note, this comes from Ari Myrov. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. He uh, works for Pro Football Focus. Um, he just reported that the Chiefs have placed Josh Gordon on the reserve COVID-19 list. And I, I don't know, that could mean multiple things. That would mean a close, close contact. contact. It, it could be anything. Yeah. But we do know... I'm almost positive they said at one point in the offseason every player and coach is vaccinated. I think that I thought it was besides like Daniel Sorensen or something. Which oh, really? Of course, yeah, right. Um, I do know we. You mentioned you kind of noted that the Chargers are having some trouble. Rashawn Slater, their starting tackle, it just got put on the COVID list uh, like about an hour ago or so. Um, Keenan Allen was on it, missed last week's game. So uh, there could be some impact on both teams with the COVID list. So uh, we'll just kind of wait and see on that with the game upcoming on Thursday. Okay, we got to get to our NFL Monday overreactions. Go ahead and get the music rolling. Adam, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go uh, first? Let me, uh, yeah, let me pull her up real quick. I uh, have them written down. Right. Yeah. Um. Urban Meyer. Uh, this is kind of a Christmas-themed one. Urban Meyer is a worse boss than Ebenezer Scrooge. Oh. Um, you know, See, the thing is, now, Ebenezer Scrooge, Scrooge turned it around. That's my thing. Yeah. Scrooge has... Now, Meyer still has time to turn around. Hopefully, some ghosts come visit him. Uh, but Christmas Eve, hopefully that happens. Um, that'll be what... Well, Christmas is a Saturday this year. Mm-hmm. Speaking of a Scrooge, I really hope we get off on that Friday. <laughs> um, but that's beside the point. Um... But yeah, hopefully, uh, or hopefully, Urban Meyer gets some ghosts visiting him uh, that Friday night, and he changes his ways. The ghost of future he, past would be him coming back to himself in a Utah, his Utah self. Yeah, and Bowling like, Green, maybe realizing like the seeing the moment yeah. where he really gave it all up. Yeah, like and sold out in the name of winning. Mm-hmm. Like he he started coaching with with good intentions, and then. You know, he, he, he'll, he'll find the moment where he, he sacrificed all of his good intentions to affect yes. kids' lives in a positive way in the name of winning and money. Yeah, and then the ghost of, of the future is Urban Meyer as the Alabama coach after Nick Saban retires. No, I think that'll make him too happy. 
No, no. Well, yeah, okay. That's a good point. Yeah, because he's like, no, this actually is my goal. Like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. So, I don't know. Dude, that sounds great. Yeah, maybe it's um, in, like, back at Bowling Green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or, um, or God forbid, like a coordinator. Yeah, right. A coordinator for Saban <laughs> at yeah. Alabama. Oh, yeah. There you go. No, he's the offensive analyst. Yeah, he's yeah, not yeah. even a coordinator. Yeah. yeah, okay. We figured it out. Um, all right, my first one is is going to actually go in line with the Jaguars. And, and I, I do feel a little hesitant saying this because of the fact that he obviously hasn't been surrounded by the best situation. But Trevor Lawrence is the worst first-round quarterback. And it's, it's so weird because we went from this guy's the next, like Andrew Luck, to... Uh, nine touchdowns, 14 interceptions. And honestly, this stat might might be the most telling, although that TD to interception ratio is very bad. He's only completing 58% of his passes, which if you said that 20 years ago, be like, oh, that's fine. You yeah, know? yeah, good but for in, him. Nowadays, with, with the way offenses are, with all the screen passes, easy completions, and, and just more openings for, for offenses in general with the rules the way they are, if you're completing under like even... Okay, if you're under 60%, like, under 60% is basically the new under 50%, but most quarterbacks are completing, like, 65% or higher. Like, Derek Carr completed, like, 70% of his passes last year. Um, That's very much not good. And then on the flip side, you have Mac Jones, who's playing really well for New England right now. Justin Fields has shown flashes. He hasn't been great, but I think he's shown more flashes, at least, in potential than Trevor Lawrence has. Trey Lance, we haven't really seen much of him, but the few glimpses we've seen of him, I don't think have been as bad as what Trevor Lawrence has shown overall. He goes four interceptions last game. Um, who am I missing? I thought there was one other first-round quarterback. Uh, Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson oh, yeah. has been, been kind fine. of trending in the right direction. He's been fine, been yeah. Boring, but fine. Exactly. So I think Trevor Lawrence is the worst first-round quarterback. Yeah, you kind of wonder if he needs, um, you know, Shad Khan is indeed going to go and sell that team and take it, or not sell it, but move it to London, mm-hmm. in which case Ted Lasso could take over. Ooh, um, that'd be a good hire. Some positive energy in there. Get Quite him the going. opposite of Urban Meyer. Exactly. Um, and then secondly... Uh, you know, it's possible, you know, Peyton Manning, now this was 20, over 23 years, 24 maybe years ago. Anyway, Peyton Manning was notably terrible his his rookie yeah. season. Um, you kind of wonder if, if Urban Meyer is just the Jim Mora to Trevor Lawrence's Peyton Manning. So maybe there's room to improve, but yeah, he's been he's And that been could be bad. the case. And, and I'm curious just in, in general with that thought, like, are we, are we past the point where Peyton Manning, like what he did his rookie season, which was 26 touchdowns to 28 interceptions. Are we past the point of a rookie quarterback ever being able to bounce back from that like Peyton did? Because I think on a couple levels, one, with Peyton Manning, it was just a different time. Whereas like, like I said, the rules are so much different. Quarterbacks can be hit so much more 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, they're so and, geared towards yeah, the offense. Yeah, and now offenses now. Have, have grown so much as well, and a systems m- are so much quarterback-friendlier. A more recent uh, a more recent example would be Alex Smith, who never turned mm-hmm. into an MVP-caliber quarterback. But once he got uh, Jim Harbaugh and, and leading on then to Andy Reid, he became a, a serviceable quarterback that you could certainly win with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that... that once he got a coach that could teach him to maximize his strengths and keep him away from his weaknesses, that might be the most you could hope out of Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, and I think the combination of that, the fact that it was just different, and also because I think nowadays we're we're more quickly ready to kind of just toss a guy to the side, I think that makes it a little bit um, tougher, I would say, for young guys to continue because you're going to get benched sooner than you would have. 20, 25 years ago, whether that's right or wrong. So 
regardless, I, I do think Trevor Lawrence has been the worst rookie quarterback. It's, I mean, I, you'll get no argument from me. Um, I uh, let's see, what do I? I wrote down four, and we're only doing three each. Um, I'll go with this one. Tom Brady uh, pays his divisional opponents to be terrible. They were so bad. Uh, he must have paid Drew Brees to pick New Orleans over Miami. Um, he they, His divisional opponents were hideous when he played. The one year any of them was good was the year he tore his ACL and couldn't play, and that was 2008. So he pays his divisional opponents to be terrible That because since going to the Buccaneers, his divisional opponents, even though it was the Bills they played yesterday, not, the, not an NFC South team, the NFC South is now awful. So... Something fishy's going on there. Well, he he does have the offshore bank account from Robert Kraft from all those years of him taking pay cuts, but we know all that money was going to offshore bank account. So it'd be very easy to just, you know, take some of those funds, wire them over to the opposing team, you know, wire them to the owner of the Dolphins and be like, hey, I know uh, if your team sucks this year, you're going to lose money for lack of ticket sales and jersey sales. Yeah. I'll pay for whatever's not there, right? I'll give you $10 million. I'll say this, the, the, the Dolphins have about 30 owners, so they've mm. got a big old ownership. I do think that it's requiring the NFL, this is kind of getting off topic, but I do think it's requiring the NFL that you have to have somebody with 51% stake in the team. I think that is required, but the Miami Dolphins have an enormous committee of ownership. Not as big as the Packers, though. Well, that's somewhat different. (laughs) Okay, my second one. Um, The Cincinnati Bengals are about to be really good again. Um they, nobody's talking about Yes, them? they were 5-2. and two. Everybody was talking about them. They were the one seed in the AFC. Then they lose two straight games, and everybody's not talking about them anymore. Then they win two big games. Now they're 7-4. and four. Everybody's talking about them again. They lose two games again, including an overtime yesterday to San Francisco 49ers. Now they're 7-6. and six. Now they're barely hanging on to a playoff spot. Nobody's talking about them again. Well, guess what? They're playing at Denver this week. Then they get Baltimore at home the week after that, a beat-up Baltimore team. I think they win both games. People talk about them again just, just in time, time for the, for the Chiefs. Chiefs to okay. wreck them. All right. And then I don't know what would happen their last game at Cleveland. But the Cincinnati Bengals, at least for the short term, are about to be really good again. If Jacksonville fans want any sort of hope of what uh, a, a quarterback that had high hopes coming out of college after a meh first season can become, uh, just look at Cincinnati. Um you know, Joe Burrow. Yeah, but it wasn't granted, this it bad. Was, it, well, yeah, and his was injury. It wasn't. He was playing fine. He wasn't playing at an yeah. MVP level, but he was playing fine before his injury. Um, so yeah, that you you could be. Uh, it could be very true. Um, so a whole bunch of people get ready in Cincinnati. Get ready with your disgusting chili. Put the house down on the Bengals. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, hard to argue. I mean, it's you know, it's got to be something. So, but yeah, people shut up about the Bengals, and here we go. <laughs> uh, my next one. Um, it is an advantage to have you don't. It, it is a disadvantage to have your quarterback go down on a Monday. It is an advantage to have your quarterback going down early in a game or just before the game. For that game, or for yes, the next one? For this, for the game you're about to play. It is an advantage because the defense is not ready for it. I'm going back to Justin Herbert against. That's the, the one that just popped in my head. Against the Chiefs, yeah. when the uh, but counterpoint the, the Chargers. Now um, looking back on it, is do you think the Chiefs' defense struggled in that game because they weren't prepared for Justin Herbert, or do you think it was just because it turns out Justin Herbert is a lot better than Terod Taylor? A gentleman called Huntley for Baltimore. Yeah, Tyler yesterday. Huntley. Tyler Huntley 
Went 27 of 38 for 271 touchdown and no interceptions yesterday after Lamar Jackson mm. went down with an ankle sprain so early you think, on. You think they were the defense was like They were so shoot. ready for Lamar. Yeah. They're like, we, th- we thought we were gonna play this guy was gonna just be running bring all over in, us. If you just bring in an okay backup quarterback. I love that. You bring yeah. in like a 50-year-old Drew Bledsoe. They're like, exactly. what do we do? Exactly. <laughs> okay, I love that. I mean, what's Matt Moore? Mm-hmm. Matt Moore, the, the Chiefs yeah. torched the Broncos after uh, Pat Mahomes left that game. That's a good point. So I, I see nothing if you have in that play, logic at all. If you have to play a, a backup quarterback, you, you want to have to announce it an hour before the game or within the first five minutes of the game. We gave Matt Nagy all this gruff, but hey, maybe him and David Beatty, they were on to something. Okay, uh, my last one. I should get my money back for a bet I placed on the Buffalo Bills yesterday. Uh, the Bills were down 24-3, to 24-7. I think it was 24-3, um, midway through the third quarter. They started driving after they stopped the Buccaneers on a, a fourth and medium. And I just had this weird sense. I had this weird feeling. I was like, Bills might win this thing. And I, I, I put a couple dollars down it wasn't very much uh, on the bills live money line they were they were like 10 to 1 odds to win the game and i was like i don't know i just have a weird feeling i placed it they ended up coming back forcing overtime then they lost in overtime 33 to 27 i'm not saying i should win the money for the bet i think i should be rewarded my money back at least because what are we doing as a society if we're not rewarding the process over the results my process was right my results were wrong i think I should get my money back. What was right about your process? I don't know. I just had a good gut feeling. But it was still wrong. But, counterpoint, I clearly made a good bet. That should not have been 10 to 1 odds if it ended up that close, right? Okay. Okay. But it, it still ended up in a loss. Yeah, but, you know, if... KU plays Dayton again, and Dayton, it's the same exact situation. Are they making that same exact shot when it's contested again? The process might have been right defensively. Result was wrong, right? Yeah, but you didn't have anything to do with the game. You just made I a like bet. I like to think I did. I like to think that the Bills were like, you know what? Nobody believes in us, but wait, this guy. This guy believes in us. We have a chance. I and they came back and they did it for me. I prefer Joe Paris theory on the Buffalo Bills. What's that? that? It, uh, I played it for you. How they? Uh, well, I was trying to the, intro you. To oh, them. yes. For those of you who don't know, Joe Paris is a hilarious, very dry comedian. And he did a bit back in 2013 when the Bills were very not good. Uh, basically, just about how they'll win a couple games early on to prove they can go undefeated. But then what they're really, they purposely blow a bunch of games so families realize there's more to life than football and they start spending more time together. (laughs) Yeah, so they're just, they're family oriented. Very nice. I more think it's the Bills are trying to say, (laughs) we need to get this guy. This guy's betting on a 24-3 NFL game. He's got a problem. You know, his wife's going to leave him soon. We need (laughs) to get him out of his gambling habits. No, if anything, that's like uh, giving cheese to a, you know, a rat or a mouse or something. It's like... The amount of money me. you gamble and the amount of trips you oh, take. It was, it was a couple dollars. The, the amount of money enough. you gamble and the amount of trips you take, Derek, in the name of gambling. We, I'm fine that you make more money than me, but we need to re- reassess of what that is. I don't think it's as much as you is. think. I really don't think it's as much as you There are many people who gamble way more than me. Um, well, yeah. Anyway, uh, I do have a new, we're going to do a new there ad on. Blue whales that on eat our, more than me. But on our Mondays. That doesn't mean it's okay. Um. We're, our, our new add-on is Loser of the Week. Loser of the Week is a team who lost, but 
it's like an encouraging loss, and you feel like the arrows pointed up. The loser of the week is the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears lost. They're four and nine. To their daddy. Probably not gonna be a playoff team. Yeah, they continue to, to be owned by daddy. Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay. The reason they're the loser of the week, they kept it interesting. You know, they were hanging around there. They were winning through portions of that game. It was forty five to thirty. Yeah, Justin Fields and the offense put up thirty points, which we haven't seen that this year. So the Bears don't really have a future as far as this season goes. Like they're not gonna make noise or anything. But at this point for the Bears, it's all about can you find enough rhythm, success with Justin Fields to make you feel good would Jack- heading into next season? Would Jacksonville have been the loser of the week after beating Buffalo? Well, because they lost their draft positioning. Oh, no, that's a good point. So, yeah, it has to be a team that loses. Yeah, so Chicago um, Bears, loser of the week. All okay. right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Bravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Five o'clock hour with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Thanks for tuning in on Rock Shock Sports Talk here on KLWN. A reminder, you can uh, go on Twitter at D Johnson Radio and give me a follow, retweet the tweet, and you'll have a chance to win two tickets to the KU Stephen F. Austin game on Saturday. So KU taking down Missouri, dominating win 102 to 65 against Missouri on Saturday. And I think we kind of got a good inside look at what the rotation would be right now if it were to be tightened up, which it is coming at some point. In some years, we see it come once Big 12 play happens. In some years, it's right off the bat. In other years, it might take till February or March before the rotation is finally tightened up. But at some point, it does get tightened up. And this year, it hasn't really been the case because you're still trying to figure out where everybody is. But also, you haven't been playing a ton of games. Like, even in the Champions Classic or, or in some bigger games, we've seen historically, you know, Bill Self isn't necessarily going to treat those the same way as a conference game in terms of tightening the rotation where he's going to go with the guys he trusts the most. When a game like this, against Missouri, against a rival, uh, a game that you knew was going to mean a lot, you figured he was going to go with the guys that he trusted the most. And I think because of that, because of the importance of this game, and this being the most important game that they've played so far, not necessarily the best team they've played, but the most important game they've played, this was probably our best look into if they get into conference play right now or if today is when the NCAA tournament started, this would be what their tightened rotation would be. And I think it also tells us, well, then, if these are the guys... Here's the players on the outside looking in. And obviously it can change, but those would give you an idea of the players that would need to make leaps to make it change. So what we're looking at is, I assume we're going on the same criteria, Derek. We actually did not discuss these players beforehand, but I'm going to name off the players that I think it is, and you're going to tell me if you agree. I uh, McCormick, Harris, Brown, Abaji, Martin, obviously the starters. Jalen Wilson, Mitch Lightfoot, and Jalen Coleman Lance. Yes, the ones you have. So the we have the same basic criteria, which is that cutoff is twelve minutes. Well, but those are also the only guys who played 
double digits, and the the the, the drop off is pretty significant. The next closest uh, is at eight minutes. Yeah. So honestly, this isn't even about the total minutes played for me, um, because Jalen Coleman lands is a slight sprinkling for me. I didn't even know if I was going to continue or uh, add him onto this. Basically, it was a seven man rotation. Here's here's what I mean by this. So twelve guys in total played in the game. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like Jalen Coleman lands double-digit minutes. Joey Asifu, who was the next guy, played eight minutes. If you were playing eight minutes a night, I would consider that part of the rotation. That's basically two four-minute stints in the game. Um, but the minutes that came for really all of those guys, Jalen Coleman lands, uh, Joey Asifu, KJ Adams, Zach Clint, like all those guys came in garbage time. They weren't real minutes for how I viewed the game. Well, that's that's kind of why, I mean, Jalen Coleman lands got got – Got run in the first half. Very little. So this is where I'm going with this. Jalen Coleman Land plays Coleman Lands played two and a half minutes in the first half. That's it. Okay. He played two and a half minutes the first thirty minutes of the game. Then he played the final. So yeah, 10, okay. So yeah, right? it was I mean, so he had the most he was kind of the, the yeah, most so he's of kind the of garbage like teetering time. between the yeah. two, right? You could convince me he's part of the rotation. You could convince me he's not. Um but then obviously Michael Jankovic, Chris Tehan were late entrants. Zach Clements didn't come into the game. He entered for the first time with 7.07 left in the game when KU was up 83-47. Those were all of his seven minutes. K.J. Adams didn't come into the game until 5.50 left when KU was up 87-47. Yeah. Those were all of his six minutes. Joe Yesifu didn't come into the game until 8.09 left when KU was up 86-47. Those were all of his eight minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and Mitch Lightfoot played significant in the first yeah. in the first half. Um, so yeah, you, you would, you would cut it off there at Lightfoot then? For the sake of, yeah, yeah, sure. So see, you, you would have a seven man rotation. Yeah. I'm not, but, not, I'm saying what? that's what you would have, but you would declare this. How about, would you well, settle cool on, se- it- would you settle on, settle, set, bleh, if I can speak, I'm getting all choked mm-hmm. up here. Um, settle, oh my gosh, I'm not even doing it okay, on purpose. I will say that. Would you go with seven and a half? And that I, half being somewhere between Yesifu and Jalen Coleman Lane. Yeah, so I'll ju- I'll just call it eight because if you consider okay, just a whoever that eighth guy is, like it's not a specific person, it's just a combination of people, right? Okay, yeah, like yeah. We yeah. can just call it eight. So it's an eight man rotation, and that is where this comes in again. Dave, Dewan, Ochai, Christian Brown, Remy Martin, Jalen Wilson, Mitch Lightfoot are your seven for sure's, and then that eighth guy basically that means it's between a game to game basis, like once. Things start getting very serious, which it was in this game, and it probably we won't we'll, we'll see an extended, I would imagine, rotation the next couple of weeks in these games against Stephen F. Austin and you know Harvard and so forth. But once we get into Big Twelve play, it's going to start tightening up, and I think you look at those seven for sure, and then an eighth guy you'll see between you know KJ Adams, Joe Yesifu, Zach Clements, one of those guys, dependent on the matchup, Jalen Coleman lands matchup and foul trouble. Yes, I would say are the two biggest, and maybe it gets up to nine on a certain game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I don't see how you how you would argue with that with that those names. I don't think either any of them is surprising either. Um, I think maybe one of us thought or both of us thought it, that one of those players that you know at different we thought differently at different times, whether it be uh, Joey Esafu or uh, Jalen Coleman Lands. I think we expected at one time or another each of us would have said they'll probably have more contribution than they have so far, um, but. You know, I I, none, I I don't look at any of those names and go, well, they kind of, you know, if if I were to, you know, go back to Adam in July and 
tell them that that's who the, the seven primary guys are with one that you don't know who will be based on matchups or foul trouble, none of those names would have surprised me. I no. Nobody on that list has me going, where'd he come from? No, absolutely not. Um, You could have convinced me that maybe Mitch Lightfoot wouldn't be the backup five, but it, it makes too much sense. You're six-year senior, right? Um, I think one thing that is interesting that, that plays into this, the fact that Bobby Pettiford, when he went down or, or you know, when, when it was announced he was going to be out four to five weeks, we talked about last week, like, who's going to be the guy who who takes over his minutes? It, it looked like a good opportunity for Joe Yesfu. That hasn't happened. Joe Yesfu is playing the same amount, if not less, than he was before Bobby Pettiford went out. Would it's it like be it's J- Dewan and Remy. Yeah. Would it be Jalen Coleman-Lance? Not really the case. Again, um, I think Jalen Wilson has maybe gotten a slight increase in minutes, but I don't know, you know, maybe that, to your point, like, the loss of Bobby Pettiford, there's more guard minutes for Remy and Dewan, and then they, they but... If they each gain, you know, five minutes from losing Bobby, but then they lose two minutes each to Jalen Wilson, they're both still going up three minutes each, if that makes sense. So I think those are kind of the guys that have been impacted by it. But you know what that tells me? If we've basically said here, like, those seven are going to be your rotation and the eighth guy is going to be some mix of somebody, it's almost asking for somebody to kind of take the bull by the horn, so to speak, and grab that eighth spot in the rotation. And the fact that nobody has done it yet, now it's only been two games, again, since Bobby Pettiford's gone down. It's a very small sample. But that really tells me that I feel like Bobby Pettiford will be that guy. Yeah, and and Self has shown before that he's willing, if he really sees a, a guard, especially if he feels like there's a senior that can, or, or an old, maybe not senior, but a more experienced guard, to kind of take the reins in the more no you know in the, in the more necessary minutes then he'll play if he really looks at a guard and says all right that's the future he'll let him play through some freshman mistakes particularly if he has the luxury of a more experienced guard uh to be with him so i can i could picture a lot of Remy and Pettiford together Dewan and Pettiford together and then maybe in bigger tighter games a lot more Remy and Dewan together mhm I just think it's interesting that it, that it already kind of worked its way down. And, and that's what's weird because in a game like that where you have such a big win, you would almost think that it would be more spread out with minutes. And, and there was nobody who played, you know, like Ocha, I think, led the team with 30 minutes. So there's nobody who had like a robust amount of minutes. But the fact that it was already kind of little whittled down is very interesting. And like I was saying earlier, we've seen it at different points throughout the self-era. We've seen it. At the beginning of conference play, we've seen it midway through conference play. We've seen it uh, maybe once you just get into into March Madness, right? And I would have thought a hundred percent that with this team, it would have been one of those years where it wasn't really more whittled down until March Madness. Like for instance, I think the 2015-2016 team. That team was pretty consistently playing like nine deep. Yeah. Um, once you got to the NCAA tournament, you go back and look at some of those game logs outside of the guys who came in in garbage time. It's like a seven-man rotation. I'm kind of, and I thought that's how this team would be. But yeah. I wonder if this is an indication that it might start tightening up as soon as the start of conference play. I'm, I'm probably more surprised. Well, I don't know. I guess it makes sense if you look at the positions. I really thought there'd be a, we'd see more starting lineups than we have. That's another. How good many? Point. How many times the starting lineup? They've had what two different starting lineups so far this year? Has it even been different? I think it's been the same starting lineup yeah, the whole way through. Because Jalen surpri- hasn't re-entered. That's kind of surprising. I mean, now, look, there are fewer ways to do that when you're running a four-round one versus a three-round two back when they had you know, a set of three deep 
you know, three or four deep big men that they could go. And any of them, any one of them were good enough to start. So there's something to be said there, but I, I really am that kind of, to me is equally fascinating is as quickly as it's been whittled down to seemingly seven to eight players in their lineup. It seems like the, the starting lineup has been set in stone since forever. And I don't know if self intended that, or just nobody's come up and said, no, I, I belong in the starting lineup. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because I think ideally coming into the year, Bill Self probably would have thought Jalen Wilson was going to be a starter until the the whole uh, DUI or, or yeah, suspension and I, DUI. Yeah, and I think it's it's um, the, the suspension combined with how good Christian Brown has been. I think it's been – I think that may have had more to do with it than anything. I think if we if, – if Self expected more – and I certainly did, expected more starts out of Jalen Wilson than we've seen even after the announcement of the three-game suspension. Um, but I certainly didn't expect this kind of start from Christian Brown. So I think that has as much to do with it as anything. Not that anybody has played their way out of the starting rotation. It's that Christian Brown has just given Bill Self no choice but to start him because he's been so good. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know if that was the the – you know, debate if it was Christian versus Jalen, if it was starting or putting Remy on the bench to start, if it was putting Dewan Harris on the bench to start. It's just a tough conundrum. And, and with the way Jalen's kind of been struggling so far, it doesn't really feel like it is a conundrum anymore. So you almost wonder if, like, is he going to at some point just get comfortable and kind of settle in to a sixth man role? Maybe. I don't, I mean, I, I hope whatever happens with him, he, he, starts to live up what he with what he knows he's capable of. I haven't seen him been pass, being passive when it comes to rebounds, and that's good. He's still taking I, shots. I think he clanked too. a couple shots, yeah, though, which is frustrating. Um, but look, he's we all know he's a good shooter, and when good shooters continue to shoot, they eventually fall. So I'm not overly worried there, but I do think... Um, you know the 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 dominance of Christian. We're not. You know the the emergence of Christian Brown has kind of forced self to to keep the starting rotation that he has. Okay, well let let me ask you this then. Hypothetically, so injuries don't count to this, right? If or, or suspensions either. If a guy gets injured or suspended, and they have to change the starting lineup because of that. I'm not counting that to this. KU's just had the one starting lineup all year. If I gave you at this point over under one and a half starting lineups used this season for KU. Again, Other minus injury and, and suspension. What would you take? I mean, if you would have even asked me a week ago, I, two weeks ago, I would have said, of course, because Jalen Wilson will eventually be a starter. I just don't see... Because oh, the only players he would start over would be Ochai or Christian Brown. I don't think it... And I, I don't think he starts over any of He's not going to start over Remy or Dewan Harris. I think he it would be over Dewan. He plays a different position. Well, he wouldn't start at Dewan's I know, position. but you would think they would just go Remy as the only point guard for a time? Yeah, I mean, they, they've thrown out lineups where they've had one point guard I out get, there. I mean, Ochai's shown an ability to bring up the ball, but he, I I just remember a quote with Self where about um, 2017, I think, he talked so much about how much he loves having two guys who can bring it up the floor. Yeah, well, I think I think Now, Ochai view it. could play that Mario Chalmers role mm -hmm. as a guy you think of as a shooter but has shown an ability to bring the ball up the floor. I think, honestly, he would view it as, yes, we don't have that second point guard in there. But, I mean, first of all, Dewan, even if he, even if Jalen started over Dewan, Dewan's still playing 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, it's, so it's not, not taking like not minutes away. It's who starts um, the game. But I think... Uh, Matchups, I, I I would go over simply because they're going to run into a matchup that may yeah. force him to do exactly well, I that. I, I just think he could view it as like 
Jalen Wilson takes the ball up the court at times. Christian Brown takes the ball up on the court at times. Ochai can take the Brown ball up the court. Brown actually had a hell of an assist to Dewan at one point during that game for uh, Saturday. And so you would basically be saying, even though we don't have a second point guard out there, we have four guys who can bring the ball up. So I don't know. I think that would be the way to do it. But if Dewan keeps playing like he is, I, I don't really think that's in question, especially with the way that Jalen continues to struggle. It's not really a conversation. It's going to take Jalen starting to play well and teams maybe not defending Dewan from three or him uh, struggling Combine, offensively or something. Combine either that or, or a matchup situation. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll kind of see on that. But I think right now it's it's probably very clear that in the big games at this moment, with conference play upcoming, rotation is going to start to whittle down. And I think Dave, Dewan, Ochai, Christian Brown, Remy, uh, Jalen Wilson, Mitch Lightfoot, I think those are going to be the seven constants. And then you're going to have someone else, depending on matchup, breakout, whatever happens, because we know when push comes to shove in the most important games, Bill Self's going to really tighten up that rotation. What about, just real quick, to throw this out there, they play West Virginia and Jalen Wilson starts over Dave McCormick. West Virginia really lacks bigs. Unless he wants to play McCormick for the hope of getting a huge offensive mismatch. Yeah, it could, but I, I just think Bill values having that real big in there so much. And, and Davis, you know, he's been playing a lot, a little better. No, I, so. I don't mean that as a knock mm-hmm. on Dave. I'm talking exclusively as a matchup reason. No, I don't think so, because we've seen other matchups where that could have been the case, and, you know, he just didn't. didn't. Yeah. yeah. Because, enough. you know, on one hand, you could say, well, if they have less size— we could match up with them with a the guy who's shorter and be fine size-wise and then be able to defend them better on the perimeter. But and be faster offensively. You could also say, well, then we'll just bury them in the post with David McCormick. So, I don't know. Uh, all right, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.